Oh my goodness. Good morning. Good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 520. Welcome into the podcasting pickup. Uh, I'm not going to lie to you. A couple things to say first. I'm not doing the cool intro today where I walk into my truck. It's too cold. It's it's like there's frost outside. It could snow any moment. And I uh, I am ready to go south. I am so cold. I slept totally warm last night. I got two sleeping bags. I put them inside each other. And I'm, I'm warm when I sleep. But man, is it frigid outside. And I, I told my family I'd be here for Thanksgiving in the Northwest. Oh, I want to leave. I want to go south so bad. But I'm like, two more weeks. You get through Thanksgiving. And then you head south. But man, am I, I'm, I'm really cold. Uh, I, I have decided I'm going to be in Arizona for the Super Bowl. We're going to go south through California, over to Arizona, hang out there for like a month, uh, and it'll take a month to get down there too. It'll be fun. Doing a little two, mo- two three month road trip. Uh, going to be, if anyone, I don't know why you would be at the Super Bowl. I think tickets are like $10,000. I'm not going to the Super Bowl, but I'll be in the parking lot, hanging out as best I can and uh, be around. It'd be interesting to see what it's like. What's Super Bowl weekend like in Phoenix? Um... Also, I, I had to say this, I'm ignoring Monday night football. Oh, okay, two things. First, I'm ignoring Monday night football, but also I have no idea where I'm at. I, I drove, I, I had a place I was going to record in the morning. It didn't work. So I, I drove somewhere else. And now I'm like in this valley somewhere. I don't even, I could pull up a map. I'm not going to, I, I can't tell you where I'm at because I don't actually know. Uh, I'm ignoring Monday night football for now. I'm doing, um, I'm going to cover Monday Night Football next episode. I think I might do three episodes this week instead of just the, the two. So keep your eye on that. Uh, I, I was having a problem with my TV subscription last night and I couldn't make it work. And I was like, I'm just, I'm going to go to bed and record the morning and figure this out later. Uh, I, I saw the Eagles lost. I don't, I don't know how that'll be. I'm excited to watch that. I'm, I'm just, there's so many other things I want to cover. And I'm like, I'll solve that problem. Like order of operations is record what you have, then get to that next um, I also, I was pretty busy with family this weekend and I had to catch up a ton yesterday. Like I watched a lot of football, watched football all day Saturday, like half the day Sunday. But on Sunday, I met my biological grandpa for the first time. And that felt like he's got cancer. He's dying. Did I want it? Like I, we actually watched football. I watched the entire Packers Cowboys game with my grandpa. He loves football, which is crazy. And I'm very fortunate there. Uh, so I got some work done while I'm hanging out with him, which is kind of weird, but whatever. Um, but I, 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 I didn't watch Sunday Night Football yet. Like I've got stuff to catch up on, but I, I'll record everything I have. I watched as much as I could. And I, it was like a once in a lifetime family event to meet my grandpa who is, I think going to die very soon. Um, anyway, now let's jump in because I, I did watch, I watched Sunday Night Football, but we were eating dinner with him and I was casually like looking at the game, but I also didn't really care. The 49ers won. It was cool. My stepdad was excited. He's a 49er fan, but for the most part, I was kind of like, eh, like I'm, I don't even know if I'll cover Sunday Night Football this week because I don't, I just wasn't that compelled by the game. Uh, now the game of the weekend was absolutely Minnesota at Buffalo. The Vikings beat Buffalo 33 to 30 in overtime. It was a wild, wild game. And I, I kind of like calling it a wild game because the Minnesota Wild is a hockey team in Minnesota. Uh, every week, it seems like there's a new game that people call the game of the year. And I think that just really speaks to how chaotic and fun this year has been in the NFL. But also, that might have 
been the game of the year. Like the, the, this game was insane. This Vikings Bills game. I'm not even entirely sure where to start. You know, my notes are kind of a mess here. That in insanity is what this game was. I think we're going to start with a two minute warning and then fill in the gaps from there. The two minute warning is where the craziness started. Um, but but actually, it is worth saying first. Buffalo had the ball with uh, ten minutes left, up. 27 to 17. So Buffalo had a 10-point lead with 10 minutes to go. And they have the ball fourth and two on the six-yard line. So they're on the goal line, in field goal range, and they chose not to kick a field goal up 10 points with 10 minutes left. They went for it on fourth down, and Josh Allen threw an interception. And it made me think of that college game from last weekend, Georgia-Tennessee, where in that game, Georgia had a lead, and they showed some restraint. They kicked two field goals in a row when they could have been more aggressive And the Buffalo Bills this year live and die with aggression. Josh Allen takes chances throwing the football downfield. They go for it on fourth down. And in some way, I admire that approach because you take chances. And I personally would rather go down swinging and always trying than just accepting your fate and, and, you know, kind of putting your tail between your legs and walking away. So I, I like the aggressive nature of Buffalo. But three weeks in a row, Josh Allen has had really bad turnovers. And, you know, Treble actually started, you know, three weeks ago when they beat Green Bay. They won that game against the Packers, but Josh Allen had some bad interceptions. And that second half, because of his interceptions, it allowed Green Bay to kind of hang around. They won the game, but that's where it all began. Last week, Buffalo lost to the Jets and Josh Allen had two bad interceptions. And it was like, oh, this, this time it finally cost him. And this weekend, he had three turnovers. He had two interceptions and a fumble. Uh, All a fumble and an interception in the fourth quarter and another interception in overtime. And I don't want to take away from what Josh Allen did because Josh Allen did some really incredible stuff in this game. And I'll get to that when we talk about that two-minute warning I mentioned in a second. So I I really hope it's not lost on people how impressive he was. Every time I watch Josh Allen, I go, oh my gosh. But... In the last couple weeks, Josh Allen has been making way too many mistakes. And two weeks in a row, he's cost his team. And I would rather him make these mistakes now than do them in the playoffs. Like, throw these interceptions. Get it out of your system. I'm not worried about Josh Allen. In fact, I think, if anything, this is a great opportunity for him to grow as a quarterback, to learn these lessons now and then continue dominating. But it's a problem I didn't realize he still had, right? Like in college, he threw a lot of picks and stuff, but I, I thought he had grown beyond that. And we're learning, oh, he's struggling in the red zone. Down along the goal line, get inside that 20-yard line, he, he's thrown a lot of interceptions. And I think it's another part of his game he needs to add to. Long-term, if he figures it out, though, it's going to make him a better quarterback. So the, the two-minute warning, the first play after the two-minute warning. The Vikings had the ball down 23-27. to 27. By the way, should have been 24-27, to 27, but they missed an extra point. So instead, Minnesota is down four points. It's fourth and 18 on their own 27-yard line. They're backed way up in their own territory, but they're desperate. They're down four. They need a first down. It's a two-minute warning. They got to go for it. Kirk Cousins throws the ball, and Justin Jefferson makes the best catch I've ever seen in my life. And it's up there with the David Tyree catch in the Super Bowl. Um, 
man, Odell Beckham Jr.'s one-handed catch in New York. That that was before that. Before this catch, it was probably the best catch that I've ever seen. Was that OBJ catch? I also think the Julian Edelman catch uh, in the Super Bowl was pretty impressive. Like I think it was against Atlanta, where he's like diving forward and it's some impressive stuff. But if if you haven't seen this Justin Jefferson catch, what have you been doing? Do you live under a rock? Like I don't know how it's possible you're a football fan who's nerdy enough to listen to this podcast and somehow might have not seen that catch at this point because it's been everywhere. But if you haven't, look up Justin Jefferson catch and. Uh, it was like a Madden glitch. It was just like, h- how did he do that? He throws a hand up in the air, kind of sucks the ball in like a vacuum. It, it was insane. The catch didn't even really make sense, but be- it was just part of what made it so impressive was not only if that catch is made in the first quarter of a meaningless game, it's still probably the best catch I've ever seen in my life, but it made it even better that it was fourth and 18 game on the line that kept the Vikings drive alive, and then they went on to win the game. And so you're like, man, that catch mattered a ton. And I gotta say, this game was such an emotional roller coaster. I mean, the drive went on and on, and then on third and goal, Kirk Cousins threw a touchdown pass to Justin Jefferson. Then it got reviewed and ruled short of the goal line. So suddenly it's fourth down, and they gotta go for it. They're down four points. So on fourth and goal, Kirk Cousins throws to Dalvin Cook. Dalvin Cook drops it, and they get stopped. But wait! The roller coaster is going up and down, and you're like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? And then suddenly there's a penalty. And so Minnesota got another opportunity on fourth and goal, and they run a quarterback sneak and got stopped again. And you're like, man, uh, I guess the Vikings just aren't going to win this game. They, They ran a quarterback sneak, couldn't score. So suddenly Buffalo, this roller coaster, man, up and down and up and down. 44 seconds left. Buffalo has the ball inside their own one-yard line. So they're way backed up. But they got a four-point lead. You got to just run a quarterback sneak, get out of the end zone a little bit, give yourself some room. But Josh Allen fumbles the snap. And I I was like, I mean, I was actually... (laughs) I was watching my family, and they were kind of talking, and I'm like, is anyone else seeing, like, what just happened here? Like, this is unbelievable, right? And Minnesota recovers the fumble for a touchdown. So suddenly, Minnesota goes from getting stopped on fourth and goal to having the lead 30-27 to inside the two-minute warning. So you see what I mean? I cannot imagine how a Vikings fan would have felt watching this game, or even a Bills fan, because you're like, we stopped him. It's fourth and 18. We got him. Then... J. Jeff makes that crazy catch, and you're like, what? And then you stop him on fourth and goal, and you're so excited. Bills fans are like, we won! And then you fumble, and you lost, and you're just up and down. But it, it continues, because <laughs> Minnesota led 30-27 to 27 with 35 seconds left, and Buffalo got the ball on their own 20-yard 20, 20 line with 35 seconds left. And in 33 seconds, Josh Allen drove right down the field, 69 yards, and kicked the game-tying field goal. Well, Josh Allen didn't kick it, but he put him in position to kick it. He also got helped by a controversial catch made by Gabe Davis along the sideline. Probably should have been incomplete, but I I just want to say, like, despite the mistakes Josh Allen made in this game, he still played insanely good. 84 yards rushing. Rushing! He ran for 84 yards. He threw for 330 Put together that 69-yard drive in 33 seconds to tie the game with a field goal. I mean, I I just, I, 
I think Josh Allen deserves criticism for the way he played against Minnesota. But I don't want it painted as he had a terrible game. He had a great game and made some terrible mistakes. And that is a different thing. He's not a broken quarterback. He's got to learn some lessons. Now, in overtime, Kirk Cousins, I thought, stepped up. He made some really big throws to Justin Jefferson. Minnesota has the ball first. They kick a field goal. And when Buffalo got the ball, Josh Allen made another terrible mistake. He threw an awful interception in the end zone. And so we walk away. First of all, Minnesota, the Vikings are now 8-1. and one. It's an impressive win for them, man. I, you know... The Vikings are playing a lot of really, really close games, and I would feel better about them if they were blowing teams out, but that feels like a nitpick, and now that they're 8-1, and one, Philly also has a loss after Monday Night Football, so the Vikings have a chance to you know, finish first in the NFC, and that would be a massive deal to play a bunch of home games in Minnesota on a road to a Super Bowl, and I think that's very, very possible for Minnesota. And I don't want to take anything away from them. Like, it was a crazy game, and they found a way to win in this crazy situation. It's a tough environment. You're on the road at Buffalo, by the way. You're playing a juggernaut of a team, and you won. And the game kind of reminded me of the Minneapolis Miracle. It's one of those moments where, similar to Stefan Diggs running down the sideline, it's a fumbled snap that was just insane and improbable. Um, but still... Despite being kind of a weird win, you you can't take anything away from them because they went to Buffalo and won, and they found a way. Now, Kevin O'Connell is the head coach of the Vikings. A lot of people are saying he should be coach of the year. My personal vote uh, would be for Mike McDaniel, the coach in Miami, because of the way he's resurrected Tua as well as winning games in uh, Miami. But uh, Kevin O'Connell, it's it's Mike McDaniel or Kevin O'Connell that's going to be the coach of the year this year. I, it's whoever has a better second half of the year, I guess. But right now, both of them are playing or coaching their butts off. And uh, both made a huge, huge difference for their football team. And, you know, this year is going, Minnesota's 8-1. and one, They're winning big games. They are first in the NFC North. This year is going the way things were supposed to go when Kirk Cousins first came to Minnesota. He came from Washington, got a big contract. Expectations were high. You're like, hey, Minnesota has talent. They just need a good quarterback. Well, apparently they needed a good quarterback and a different coach. Uh, And so with Kevin O'Connell, Kirk is playing really well, uh, and Minnesota's 8-1. and And it's just really cool. And I think a large part of why Minnesota's doing so well, by the way, is the culture that's been cultivated in Minnesota. I, I have a lot of respect for Mike Zimmer, the former head coach of the Vikings. But he's a gruff guy. He's he's tough. He's old school. I don't think I would want to play for him because he's not, I don't want to say not friendly, but there's like a layer of um, he doesn't relate to his players that well anymore. Not these this new era, younger generation of players. And I I think he would be a great defensive coordinator. And he, in fact, he's an incredible defensive mind. But I don't think his mindset works as a head coach in the NFL anymore. I think you need a guy who is a little more go-lucky, a little more positive. Like when Kirk Cousins throws an interception, Kevin O'Connell goes and sits next to Kirk and encourages him rather than just staring at him or scalding him or calling him out in the media. It's a different environment in Minnesota. And that's not only is Kevin O'Connell like calling good plays on offense and doing good stuff. It's it's the way he treats his players that's making a big difference and getting more out of what he's got in Minnesota. 
It's worth mentioning, though, uh, from this game, the Justin Jefferson catch is going to get all the attention. And I, I want it clear, best catch I've ever seen. I, I, not only is it the situation, 4th and 18, game on the line, but I, I legitimately do not really understand how he caught that. Like, I I, I know, like, I've, I've watched the video a ton of times, but every time I watch it, the less I understand it because I'm like, how, how did he pull that in? Go watch it. If you haven't, it's incredible, but I do want to give some credit to Stefan Diggs and this is going to be forgotten. Stefan Diggs, the Buffalo Bills receiver had a sick one handed, like one handed catch on third and 15. I think that's fun. And there's a cool side story here, which is that Stefan Diggs used to play in Minnesota and Buffalo traded a first round pick to get Stefan Diggs, Minnesota used that first-round pick they got from Buffalo to draft Justin Jefferson. So in this game, it's Stefan Diggs playing his former team and playing against the guy who replaced him, Justin Jefferson. Stefan Diggs in this game, 12 catches, 128 yards. That's incredible. Uh, and then the SAR, who is somehow even better, was Justin Jefferson, 10 catches, 193 yards, and a touchdown. I don't know. Like A lot of people want to compare them. I had a great time watching both. They're both incredible receivers. And um, they they both have their own strengths and weaknesses, and they're they're both so I mean like it's crazy if you compare their numbers. They're they're so parallel in so many ways. I think they have the same number of catches this year. Like it's crazy, and it worked out both. You know the, the trade worked out well for both teams, and um, I, I don't know who I would rather have. I, maybe I'd rather have Justin Jefferson. I don't even know. I don't really know how to answer that. I, I they're just they're different, and uh, they're both incredible, and they both even had an incredible catch in this game. Like that's, it's so weird how many parallels there are between these two receivers and how things have worked out in their time since, um, Justin Jefferson was drafted. Now, both teams had multiple opportunities to win this football game, Buffalo and Minnesota. Uh, and they had chances to win and they missed them in my opinion. So I, I don't want to come down hard on Kirk cousins, but Kirk cousins, the Vikings quarterback, wasn't amazing here. He had two bad interceptions. One went high. Uh, one was like, I, I don't even really understand why he threw the ball. He threw right at a defender. But um, despite two big mistakes, I thought Kirk played really well. Like he, in overtime, made some really big time throws to Justin Jefferson. And they were throws that gave me confidence that, oh man, you know what? Later, as the year goes on, because this was this really was Kirk Cousins in, in overtime playing great in a big moment, in my opinion. And the knock on Kirk for a long time has been, hey, when the lights shine bright and it's a big moment, he doesn't play very well. And I thought this game was some, maybe him turning a corner, maybe him winning my respect. I'm not really sure, but I thought he played outstanding in overtime. And it made me go, oh, you know what? As the year goes on, as they go into the playoffs, I think, I think you know, Kirk Cousins can deliver in a big moment. Now, Bills fans, I want to talk to you guys for a second because I just want to encourage Buffalo Bills fans, you don't need to worry about Josh Allen, your quarterback. I think, I'll say this again, I would rather him make mistakes now than later in the year. And these interceptions, you know, three weeks in a row now, multiple interceptions in the red zone, it's a good opportunity for him to grow as a quarterback and clean things up and... I just, I I think it's actually, if anything, a blessing in disguise. Because like I said, 
making these mistakes now and learning from them is better than learning these lessons in January uh, in a playoff game. Now, I, I want to say one more time. I love this game. I, I, I actually agree with a lot of people who say it's the game of the year. It was certainly, I mean, there's so much going on. It was just, you're like getting whiplash and the up and the down. And I, I almost wish I was a Bills fan or a Vikings fan so I could experience what it's like to have an emotional investment as well in what's going on. Because I'm a neutral observer. And I was like, huh, oh, like I was having a heart attack. I can't even imagine how it must have felt to like desperately want your team to be the one who came out on top. So it was so fun. Bills Vikings was a totally insane, chaotic game. And I just absolutely loved it. Let's stay in the NFC North. The Green Bay Packers beat the Dallas Cowboys 31 to 28 in overtime. And this was a huge win for Green Bay. I am hoping... I am hoping that this game is a turning point for Green Bay. The Packers' second-round pick, rookie receiver Christian Watson, had a big day. Four catches for 107 yards and three touchdowns. Christian Watson, finally, 10 games into his rookie year, 10 games into his first season in the NFL, I think started showing the potential that was talked about when he got drafted out of North Dakota State. He gave Green Bay what they've been missing all season, which is a true number one receiving threat. Four catches, 107 yards, three touchdown catches. That's unreal. That's really good. And I, I want to, you know, before we get on to more, talk about more stuff, I, I want to give credit to Aaron Rodgers. I want to read a tweet from, someone sent me this. If you sent it to me on Instagram, I appreciate it. I forget who your name was. Um, but someone, Matt, Sh- Matt Schneidman tweeted this and said, What did Aaron Rodgers say to Christian Watson on the sideline after his two drops on the opening drive? Here's what he said. He said, the ball is still coming your way, buddy. Let's get one of these. Let's make a play. I don't think I very often in the past given Aaron Rodgers a lot of credit as a leader. But that's awesome. That's the stuff I like. Guy has a couple drops early. He's a young player. You need him to play well if you're going to win. And your season, if you're Aaron Rodgers, has been abysmal and bad and frustrating. And the problem all year has been we don't have a true number one receiver. Aaron encourages this young guy, Christian Watson. And after a rough start to the game, he goes on to have multiple long touchdowns. A lot of big catches. He's winning matchups. And... You love to see it because that's that's if he can develop. I mean, man, I we I I have talked a lot about the Packers and how it makes no sense what they're doing, but this was the first time all year I said, "Huh. Maybe they already have a good receiver. Maybe Christian Watson can be the guy they need." And it's been a it's been 10 games. This is finally in the 10th game the first time he really had a big day. But I I'm I'm hoping here, man, like that this is the beginning of a really exciting phase of Christian Watson's season and maybe of his career where he starts getting, you know, just going off and winning matchups and having big catches. And I'd love to see, like, I, I would love to see Christian Watson become Aaron's go-to guy. And I just, I love the leadership from Aaron here to say, hey man, let's flush it, move on. You're going to keep getting opportunities and I need you to make one of these plays. And Aaron did keep going to him. And Christian Watson, three touchdown catches uh, in just a monster day. 
And uh, I am, I'm so hoping, like I said, this is the beginning of something special in Green Bay with Christian Watson. And I hope he can be the number one receiver they so desperately need in Green Bay. Now, let's say it again out loud. Dallas lost to Green Bay in overtime 31 to 28. Dallas lost to Green Bay. And it's a really embarrassing loss, in my opinion, if you're the Dallas Cowboys. Dallas led 28 to 14, and they let Green Bay come back. And it was really funny watching Mike McCarthy, the Cowboys head coach, lose on the road in Green Bay against the team that fired him. And I got no hatred for Mike McCarthy, but I, I thought this was a guaranteed victory. Like I'm like, look, you're a way better team. The Packers are struggling. It's it's funny that things were wrong about. And I was I was wrong about this game. And in my opinion, Dallas totally blew it this weekend. I mean, not only did they have a big lead, but in overtime they had the ball fourth and three on the 35-yard line. And they decided to go for it instead of kicking a 52-yard field goal. A 52-yard field goal in Green Bay, Wisconsin is not guaranteed, I suppose. But they got stopped, and then Green Bay drove right down the field and won with a field goal. So it mattered. And so I would say there was a poor decision made by Dallas at the end of the game in overtime. Dak Prescott, the Cowboys quarterback, had back-to-back interceptions in this game. The Cowboys' defense was really disappointing. Like, oh my gosh, they allowed Green Bay to run for over 200 yards. And I think in general, so the Cowboys are clearly like a, a good football team. Like they, they win games. They've got, well, they've had a good defense a lot of times this year. But I, I so regularly look at Dallas and just feel underwhelmed. And I don't know if it's maybe because there's all these expectations or it's because they're this brand. And when I think of, um, I mean, I love video games, and a lot of my friends play Halo. I love the Halo series. Halo is this big established brand. They put out a game recently called Halo Infinite, like fairly last year or two, and it's been underwhelming for a lot of people. But part of that's because of the expectations that come along with being the Halo franchise. And if that game, Halo Infinite, comes out with a different name and it's not a Halo game, people probably love it and are a little bit more gentle on it than they are with that. I wonder if some of that's happening with the Cowboys where I just put them in this this unique position uh, because of the name and the brand that they are. So maybe that's why they're constantly underwhelming. But I want to say to you guys, this is important to me, and I, I, I don't want it lost. I want to kind of call my shot here. In, in my opinion, in the NFL, coach, quarterback, and owner – or the three most important positions for a NFL franchise. Dallas doesn't have either of those, any of those three positions quite right. They've got a meddling owner, Jerry Jones, who will not hire a general manager and refuses to give up control. They've got an overpaid quarterback, Dak Prescott. Dak is a good quarterback. He's overpaid though. He, he regularly does not make it happen when he needs to. And... And I think as a symptom of having a, a owner who won't give up control, the result is they've got a mediocre coach, Mike McCarthy. Not a bad guy. Don't hate the guy or anything. But regularly, he's been vanilla and bland and not good enough when he needs to be. So here's me calling my shot. 
Dallas will not win a Super Bowl with their current leadership. They have got no general manager, a meddling owner, Jerry Jones, Dak and Mike McCarthy coaching quarterback. That's not a big three that's going to win you a Super Bowl. And I, I just want to say that here. As long as those three are the, the top guys in Dallas, I, I'm not going to give them any more of a... I'm not going to believe they're going to win a Super Bowl. And they're welcome to prove me wrong, right? Like, I, in fact, I'd like to see that. I, I like Dak Prescott. He's got a good story. He's dealt with a lot of loss in his life. I actually like Dak a lot. So I don't root against them. But as far as confidence goes, I've got no confidence that the Dallas Cowboys are going to win a Super Bowl. And I hope they change my mind. I hope they, I wouldn't mind seeing that. I think it'd be good for football to see the Dallas Cowboys win a Super Bowl. They're a massive brand with a huge following. Um, I mean, can you imagine how many people would be tuning in if they were in the Super Bowl? But, so it'd be good for the sport I love too. But I, I just, I don't see it. I see an owner that's a problem. I see a coach who's regularly too mediocre, and I see a quarterback who's overpaid and makes too many mistakes and doesn't play good enough when it really matters. And I just, uh, one more time, I'll call my shot. With the current leadership in Dallas, Dak, Mike McCarthy, and Jerry Jones, they are not going to win a Super Bowl. I'm going to, I'm going to repark my car real quick because the sun in my face is not something I love. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change the direction my car is pointed. And uh, I'll be right back with you in just a second. See, it's very beautiful where I'm recording this morning. Just some little park in Washington. I don't know. Let's get back to the show. Hi, everyone. Um, for you, it's been a couple seconds. For me, it's been about an hour and a half. I finished recording the show. Uh, and I started editing it and I realized, hmm, what's this gap in audio for like 15 minutes? When I flipped the truck around, um, something was unplugged. And so for about 20 minutes uh, of the podcast, right in the middle, no audio recorded. Uh, and that's sad and frustrating. Um, and I'm just going to pick up where I left off. We were talking about the Raiders and the Colts was my next thing. I'm going to fill in the bits that didn't get recorded. And then, um, I just, I don't, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm really sad about it. I'm, I'm just kind of letting you in on behind the scenes. Like I, I'm disappointed that I did this, what I thought was a great segment or two and it didn't get recorded at all. So, um, <laughs> time traveling and stuff is confusing. I don't know if I'm even making sense to the podcast listeners, but anyway, I want to, I want to talk about something that was very surprising and yet very, very fun in the NFL this past weekend. Indy beat the Raiders 25 to 20. It was pretty wild. The Colts just hired Jeff Saturday to be their interim head coach. He's a guy who had never coached in the NFL before. In fact, he was working for ESPN when he got plucked away from ESPN to go suddenly become the coach of the Colts, which doesn't really ever happen. I mean, I it's one thing in the offseason maybe, but during the middle of the season just to leave ESPN and go coach the Colts, that is pretty crazy. And he'd never been a coach before. He did play for 14 years in the NFL, 13 of them in Indy. He's a highly respected uh, player. Jeff Saturday played center with Peyton Manning for years. And Jeff Saturday won. He won his first ever game as the coach of the Colts, which the word is surprising, but it's also like really fun and really cool. And I want to give a lot of praise to Jeff Saturday. He made a call to go back to Matt Ryan 
at quarterback. Remember, a couple weeks ago, the Colts made the announcement before Jeff Saturday was hired. They were benching Matt Ryan and going to have Sam Ellinger be their starting quarterback the rest of the year. Jeff Saturday came in and said, nah, we're not doing that. Matt Ryan's my quarterback once again. He gives us the best opportunity to win. And Matt Ryan did all right in this game. As the Colts beat the Raiders, Matt Ryan was 21 for 28 passing at 222 yards and a touchdown pass. He also had a long 39-yard run. Uh, Jonathan Taylor, by the way, ran for 147 yards and a touchdown as well. Um, I, I just spewed a lot of information at you. First of all, the Matt Ryan run for 39 yards was like so cool. He could have gone out of bounds. Matt Ryan cut back inside and kept going. And, oh, I love it. Uh, and then Jonathan Taylor had a, a great day as well. And I think it says a lot about already, you know, Jeff Saturday is having a really big impact on the Colts offensive line. Now this game, watching the Colts win and succeed and Matt Ryan and the running game, and it made me go like, whoa, 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 wait. What if Jeff Saturday actually works and the Colts win a little bit here? Like that that's surprising and unexpected and... I think it's worth going back to the Matt Ryan move for a second to talk about that because clearly Jeff Saturday is trying to win and trying to build a good culture. And with Jeff Saturday making that move to go back to Matt Ryan, he did that to grab the respect of the locker room. Um, your team will give up when they think you're not trying to win. And putting their backup quarterback, Sam Ellinger, in was like Indy waving the white flag. They just weren't even trying to. It was... It clearly, Matt Ryan gave them the best position to win, and they were done with Matt Ryan. So when a team is tanking, your team starts to play selfishly and worry about their stats and their numbers, and it really erodes your culture. Jeff Saturday's like, I'm not doing that. I want to win. And it felt like a self-respecting move. I, I loved Jeff Saturday making the change back to Matt Ryan because it, was, it felt like him saying, no, no, we, 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 are, we respect ourselves too much, and guys work too hard to not put our best foot forward. It's when a team is tanking, it's such a sign of disaster because guys that people are putting so much work every week to get on the field and to put together a game plan and all this stuff. And when you're not doing everything you can to try and win, it really flies in the face and disrespects all that hard work people are doing. So Jeff Saturday did something, you know, by going back to Matt Ryan that not only grabbed, I think, his team's respect instantly, it also grabbed my respect for it to say, like, he's like, we're not laying down. We are going to zip up our pants and we are going to really fight hard and, you know, put on your, I guess, put on your big boy, what I'm trying to say, big boy pants, I'm not really sure. But, like, we respect ourselves. We, we're not going to wave the white flag. We're going to fight till the end and do everything we can to win to respect and honor all the people every week who put in hours of countless work to try and win a football game. And I love that, man. It, again, self-respecting is the word I think of when I think of Matt Ryan being put back uh, as a starting quarterback of the Colts. I love what Jeff Saturday did. And we're in kind of a weird reality where I watched the Colts win and beat the Raiders, and I thought, doesn't winning hurt the Colts in kind of a weird way? Like, what's the goal here? Are the Colts trying to see if Jeff Saturday is their long-term head coach? Do they want to win? I, I want it clear. I'm, I am not at all coming at Jeff Saturday. In fact, I love the guy. I'm rooting for the guy. But I'm not really sure what the best way 
to root for him is. Like, what does it look like for Jeff Saturday to be successful? Because the Colts are four, five, and one. Do they want, like, the 19th pick in the NFL draft? And how does a mediocre season help you? Don't you want to draft a quarterback this offseason? I mean, it seems like quarterback is the move they're going to make. They got an older guy, Matt Ryan. I just don't really understand the direction of the Colts. Again, I am not hating on Jeff Saturday. I love the guy. I love him. I'm rooting for him. And I enjoyed watching Jeff Saturday beat the Raiders on Sunday. That was awesome. So while I like him and rooting for and I'm rooting for him, I'm not really sure what I'm rooting for. Am I rooting for wins? Am I rooting for Jeff Saturday to lose and get a high draft pick? I'm just confused about the direction of the Colts. I'm not really sure. I'd love to hear from a Colts fan and, and, and know, like, what do you guys want from the rest of the year? What does a good year look like to you? It feels short-sighted a little bit to, you know, let's say you win um, half your next however many games, right? Is that good for the Colts? Like, it feels good in the moment. Yeah, we win. Colts fans are watching with their hot dog and their beer, and it feels a little better to win than lose. But I I just asked the question, has anyone thought about, like, is winning good? And and maybe it is. Maybe the point is that the Colts are just trying to build a culture of winning. And Jeff Saturday maybe is the right guy. Maybe he's not. I like the idea. I'm all for it. Jeff Saturday can coach, he can coach. And I'm, I'm impressed he won his first game. The team likes him. I think, again, he's building a culture there that people like because he was a player himself, so he can relate to players more than anything. But I, I just, I don't know what to root for when I'm rooting for Jeff Saturday. And I'm root, am I rooting for Jeff Saturday to win? Am I rooting for Jeff Saturday to get a high draft pick? I, I just don't know. And I'd love to hear feedback from Colts fans. By the way, it was really, really funny. While he was still at ESPN, two weeks ago, on October 30th, Jeff Saturday tweeted this. He said, Raiders look horrible. I find it so hilarious that two weeks later, two Sundays after that, he was coaching against the Raiders and beat them. Like, what a weird turn of events. Working for ESPN, tweeting about games, and then two weeks later, you go from Twitter to on the sideline against that football team, and you beat them. I... That's one of my favorite storylines of the year already. It's just that, like, Jeff Saturday was tweeting about the Raiders as an analyst and then beat them. <laughs> That's amazing, and I love it. Now, um, here's the other perspective, though, from this game, Raiders-Colts. The Raiders just lost to Indy with basically an ESPN analyst as their head coach. That's an oversimplification. Jeff Saturday played for 14 years in the NFL But Jeff Saturday had never been a head coach before, and he just got to Indy. Like, two weeks ago, he was working for ESPN. He got to the building, and in his first game, he beat the Raiders. And two weeks ago, the Raiders lost to New Orleans 24-0. I am not really sure which loss is worse. The loss to New Orleans, where you didn't score and you looked terrible, or this one to Indy and Jeff Saturday, a coach who's never coached in the NFL before, and just got there a week ago. I'm, I'm not really sure. The Raiders are 2-7 and seven right now. Six of their seven losses have been by one score. They lost to LA by five points. They lost to Arizona by six. They lost to Tennessee by two. They lost by one at Kansas City. On the road against Kansas City, a juggernaut. They lost by one. They lost by seven in Jacksonville. And now they've lost by five 
to Indy. The only loss all year for the Raiders that hasn't been a one-score loss was that blowout awful loss to New Orleans. So it's interesting. The Raiders are in games. Like, they're close, they're competitive, and they're losing every single week. It's just been a, a nightmare season, frankly, for the Raiders and their first-year head coach, Josh McDaniels. And Josh McDaniels has been a head coach before he coached briefly in Denver. Funny enough, a division rival of the Raiders. Uh, he was in Denver for one season and 12 games, and he got fired in year two when they started 3-9. and nine. Now he's been in Vegas for nine games, and in his time as an NFL head coach... Jeff McDaniels is 13. Jeff, Jeff, Josh McDaniels. Jeff, say Jeff. Jeff Daniels is the actor from that show. Oh, man. The newsroom, I believe. Uh, in his career as a head coach, Josh McDaniels is 13 and 24 as a head coach. And it's bad. It's not going well. And this weekend in Indy, they had a lead in the fourth quarter. Then they lost. And Josh McDaniels, the guy who's been a head coach... Before, a guy who's coached in the NFL for years alongside Bill Belichick and coached Tom Brady and won Super Bowls. He coached against Jeff Saturday. I, I like for him to lose to Jeff Saturday, who'd never coached before a day in his life in the NFL, is deeply embarrassing and not a good look at all. And after the game, Raiders quarterback Derek Carr was crying in his press conference in frustration. And you gotta feel for Derek Carr. The dude has been through a lot. I made a whole list of stuff that Derek Carr has endured throughout his entire career. He started at Oakland in 2014. The team moved cities to Vegas. Uh, he's had coaches fired. He's had six head coaches. This is only year nine in the NFL for Derek Carr, mind you. <laughs> it's an insane rate of new coaches like six coaches in nine years is ridiculous there have been scandals uh they had he was winning with john gruden uh and then john gruden got in trouble and left teammates have had trouble off the field they Derek carr found a way to win a playoff game with an interim head coach rich basaccia a special teams coordinator the raiders are a disaster and i just feel bad for Derek carr because he's dealt with a lot of crap that has not been his fault. And he gets so much hate. Derek Carr gets hated on a ton, both in the Raiders fan base and in the NFL in general. And I get it. Derek Carr is not Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes, but Derek Carr is not a bad quarterback. Derek Carr does a lot of stuff really, really well. And I almost feel a need to defend his honor because I have watched Derek Carr not only go through so much bad with the Raiders organization, but he's also won them a lot of games. He's played really well at times. And I just, it's such a a frustrating thing because if Derek Carr was with a good organization and a good coach and a good team, he would so clearly win. If you put Derek Carr in Minnesota right now, he would dominate. Throwing to Adam Thielen and TJ Hawkinson and Justin Jefferson, he would destroy people with Kevin O'Connell as his head coach. Dalvin Cook as his running back. If you put... Uh, Derek Carr in Miami with Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell, he'd be unbelievable. He'd be better than Tua. And I would say that with respect to Tua. Derek Carr, is he's been clutch at times in his career. He's made a lot of big plays. He's won games for their franchise. And yet he still gets hate. Nobody believes in him. And it's crazy to me that people seem to overlook how 
poorly run his teams have been over and over again. They hired Mike Mayock as a general manager who was a fun broadcaster, but not a good general manager. They had a coach, John Gruden, come and go. They had the the amount of crap he's dealt with. Remember when he got Antonio Brown? Yeah, briefly, Derek Carr had the glimmer of hope he would have Antonio Brown as a star receiver, but Antonio Brown was a disaster and he left. And it's like, I just feel so bad for Derek Carr. And I wish more people understood and did too, because I've watched him make really good throws in his career and do really well. And I don't know how emotionally he still has fight in him after what his career has been through. I guess money talks, right? He'll play for money. But at this point, I just want to see Derek Carr go to a different organization. I mean, I would love to see Derek Carr as the Patriots quarterback. Or, um, man, I you know what? You know where Derek Carr could do really well? The Colts. Or, you know, Indy, Seattle, the Giants. Uh, man, there are so many places that Derek Carr could go. Just please, if Derek Carr ever leaves the Raiders, which I don't know that he ever will. He's very loyal. I just hope Derek Carr never goes to the Washington football team because the commanders are <laughs> the worst run organization by a mile in the NFL. And uh, that would certainly be a step down for him. Uh, but there's not a lot of places Derek Carr could go that would be more poorly run than the Raiders have been during his time there. And I just, I want that said because Derek Carr gets hated on all the time and his team is terrible. And I, so much has gone wrong that is out of his control and people just regularly forget that. And it makes me uh, a little bit frustrated for Derek Carr. Last week, when Tom Brady put together that impressive fourth quarter drive to beat the Rams, I said, this has to be the turning point of their season or else there's going to be really big trouble. Remember, Tom Brady was back into a wall. They were down and he led this crazy drive in the fourth quarter to get a touchdown and win the game against the Rams. And so far, there is evidence to point to that moment being a turning point in the season for Tampa because they won that game last weekend. Then in Germany this weekend, Tampa beat Seattle 21 to 16. Tampa played really well. Uh, Seattle only ran for 39 yards and Tampa's defense played outstanding. And what's the key difference here? What What's happened in the last two weeks for Tampa? Tom Brady's single. Tom Brady was having, you know, Tampa was three and five. Then Tom Brady got divorced. He dealt with his personal drama. And since then, single Brady is 2-0. And, and, you know, Tampa, they're 5-5 five and five and first in their division. And a lot of people, I don't think, want to hear this narrative about a guy getting divorced and yada yada. I, I just think it matters. Like, I, I'm a guy, I've had a lot of personal crap go on in my life. And I can tell you from my own experience, as a guy who I wasn't once engaged, I am now not married. I, I don't, I moved away from Hawaii. I've been up and down and all kinds of crazy stuff. When you're dealing with crap in your personal life, it's really, really difficult to focus on your job and the things you're supposed to be doing. And I, I, I think it's very possible. We'll see how the year goes for Tom Brady. It's kind of a fun experiment. When the, when the year comes to an end, we can say, was that moment in L.A. against the Rams, was that really a turning point um, for Tampa? But so far, I think it was. You know, they're, they're, Tom Brady has not lost a game since dealing with his personal life. And I just think there's power there. I think it matters. I know people don't like talking about 
divorces and marriage and yada yada. When it comes to football players, it feels like a step into their personal life. But I also think it's worth acknowledging that, you know, sometimes you got to do that in your life. You got to deal with the stuff going on and outside of your work. And when you deal with your personal life, it helps you. And I just think that's what we, we've seen with Tom Brady. And it's it's really worth noting that physically Tom Brady still has it. Like when you compare Tom Brady today to Peyton Manning in his final year when he won a Super Bowl, like limping his way to a Super Bowl in Denver, Tom Brady is so much better than Peyton Manning was that year. Tom Brady has it, man. He can still play. Tom Brady, the, the problems they've been having in Tampa have not been him missing throws or being inaccurate. It's been timing and cohesion and schematics and game planning and like stuff that they can control and adjust and change. And it just looked like a, Tom Brady was a guy who wasn't fully focused. And I, I think, like I said, now that he dealt with the stuff going on in his life, I think he's focusing on football and, and able to fully focus on football and not got this thing hanging over his head. And um, I, I, I'll tell you what, so many times in his career when Tom Brady has been back into a corner and had the odds stacked against him, he succeeded and delivered and won. He's called the comeback kid for a reason. And I think this is kind of a comeback season for Tom Brady. They started three and five. Now they're five and five first in their division. Long season ahead. A lot of time to keep winning and keep going. I'll tell you what, man. I think 12 and five, 11 and six. Like that's very possible for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They're, I think, going to win their division. And they got enough talent where if Tampa can get hot at the end of the year, they could beat Philly or Minnesota and make an appearance in the Super Bowl. And so I just keep your eye on Tom Brady and keep your eye on, on Tampa Bay. I don't know that Tom Brady's near done with his career. He's got a lot of football left in his body if he wants to. At this point, he if he wants to play, physically he still can. And for more than just this year. So um, keep your eye on Tampa. And I just want to remind you, you know, it's kind of a fun little saying. Single Tom Brady, he's 2-0. Hasn't lost yet. And uh, yeah, I think he actually looks better. I think things are headed in the right direction for Tampa. And I just can't wait till like week 17 and we can look back and go, you know, Zach, you, you hypothesized that that Rams game was going to be a turning point in the season for Tampa. Will I be right or not? That, that's what I love. I, I love that stuff. When you throw something out there and you get to wait and see what happens. And uh, so far, it has been a turning point for the Buccaneers. But it's only been two weeks. Really a week and a half, a week and a quarter since that moment. So we'll see. Uh, but keep your eye on the Buccaneers. Are they, in fact, turning things around for the rest of their season? All right, y'all. Um, I had to re-record that. But now on to the rest of the show, regularly scheduled. You won't hopefully notice a difference. I might not even tell you I did that. But if there was a weird cut, it's because I, I you know, I literally had to um, <laughs> go back and record something that the microphone didn't pick up. And I was very sad about it. But I actually think it turned out pretty good in the end. And uh, yeah, I think it, I think it ended up being, a, if not the same quality as the first time I recorded it, maybe even better. So um, love you guys and uh, enjoy the rest of the show. All right, uh, Miami beat Cleveland this past weekend, 39-17. to 17, And I would say Tua had the best game of his career so far. 
Um, he was 25 for 32 passing. He had 285 yards and three touchdown passes. The key, though, Tua made great decisions. Um, and what I love about this game is Tua succeeded at a high level without the requirement of a superhuman day from his receivers. Like Tyreek Hill had a pretty low-key day, five catches for 44 yards and a touchdown. Jalen Waddell had four catches for 66 yards. It was a very balanced attack for Miami. They spread the wealth. A lot of people got catches. They ran the ball really well. And this was the game I, I felt like, you know, Tua has arrived. I think Tua is the next Drew Brees. I mean, I, I really see that. The Dolphins are 7-3. and three. They passed Buffalo this past weekend for first in the AFC East. And I just think his decision-making is so good. He's putting the ball in the right spot every time. He runs at offense at a really high level. He's got great, great anticipation, meaning like Tua's throwing the ball before receivers make their break into a window. And the receivers are running. He's throwing people open, basically, is the best way to put it. And... um that's something that is really hard to find at an NFL level is that level of anticipation. He's shown that through his entire career, high school, college, in the NFL. And uh, I just really, Tua is not the most physically gifted quarterback. I, I know that. But some of the stuff he's doing timing-wise and anticipation-wise are next level. And that's why I compare him to Drew Brees. He's not the most physically gifted quarterback, but, man, is he accurate. And along with accuracy, it's it's the ball being in the right spot at the right time. By the way, Jeff Wilson, uh, the Dolphins' new running back, had 17 carries for 119 yards and one touchdown. Miami just traded a fifth-round pick to get him, uh, and that's a great move for him to have, again, 17 carries, 119 yards, and a touchdown right after being traded to Miami. Um, I think it's well worth a fifth-round pick, and uh, I, the 49ers got rid of him because they just had a really stacked, packed running back room. But what a great move by uh, Mike McDaniel, the Dolphins head coach, to say, hey, I used to work with Jeff Wilson. Let's go get him. And Jeff Wilson Jr. killing it already in Miami. The Lions beat Chicago 31-30. to And uh, it's a great win for Detroit, man. The Lions have won two games in a row. It's the first road win they've ever had with Dan Campbell as their head coach. That's kind of interesting. I just want to say I've got a lot of patience for Dan Campbell and the Lions. They're having a year that's not great, but even when they've been losing, a lot of their losses have still been fun to watch. Not all of them. Some of them have been blowouts, but a lot of them have been games where they're still scoring and they're in it and it's been close. And I just want to encourage people to be really patient with Detroit and Dan Campbell. Let it play out. Let the Lions grow. Uh, you know, former first-round pick Jeff Okuda had a pick-six in this game. It was awesome. Aiden Hutchinson, their first-round pick, had eight tackles and a sack. I just want to encourage people, Detroit cannot have a culture where every two years they have a new head coach. It's just not a sustainable move. I think you got to stick with Dan Campbell, let it play out. He seems like an awesome guy. His team loves him. His players love him. I just want to encourage patience for Detroit, and I, I would hate to see them fire Dan Campbell before they allow things to play out and he really gets a, a shot to prove himself, I think that happened with Jim Caldwell a couple of years ago. I mean, more than a couple of years ago now, but the Lions just have to let this one play out. And I would be so disappointed and upset if they pulled the trigger too early and fired Dan Campbell. Now, for Chicago, the Bears lost this game 30-31 to Detroit. 
The difference in this game was a missed extra point. But also, so, you know, Chicago missed an extra point, but they could have done more to win this game. I don't want to, like, make excuses for them. Justin Fields threw a pick six that wasn't great. He was trying to complete a long screen pass. The ball went high, got picked off. I thought it was kind of a good learning moment for him where the look was pretty messy, and if a screen pass isn't there, you want to just throw the ball in the dirt and move on. So, I mean, honestly, I'm glad, though, Chicago lost. Is that weird to say? Not because I don't like Chicago, but because I do like Chicago. I thought the way things played out, Justin Fields played really, really well, made a lot of big plays, but losing is going to help give the Bears a better draft pick. So I think it's kind of best-case scenario where you lose a close game, you play well, Justin Fields is making progress, and again, losing helps your draft position. So in this game, Justin Fields was 12 for 20 passing, had 167 yards passing, two touchdown passes, plus he threw a pick six. But also, Justin Fields ran 13 times for 147 yards and two more touchdowns. And he had this long 67-yard touchdown run where you're like, oh my goodness, that's crazy. It was another long run for Justin Fields in back-to-back weeks. It's very impressive. Uh, Tight end Cole Komet, by the way, had two touchdown catches in this game. Cole Komet, their tight end who they had high hopes for, is getting better and better every time I watch him. It's really cool to see him making progress with Justin Fields. I just thought, like, despite losing, not a terrible day for Chicago all around. I think losing helps you, but also it's good. They were competitive. Like, Justin Fields is a star. You get to see this young star emerging. They're fun to watch. Like, for Bears fans, I hope you had a great time watching the game. I know I did. But also, um, you know... I don't think at this point in your your season you want to win a lot of games because every time you lose, you move farther up the draft uh, order and a better draft pick means more help for Justin Fields and a better team next year. So I don't know, man. I, I It's one of those situations where I, I'm sure... I don't really know what the discourse is right now in Chicago. I, I would imagine they're frustrated they hate losing and losing to Detroit doesn't feel great, I, I would imagine. However... Um, I would actually, the nerd in me would argue, I think still somehow you're better off having lost. Now let's talk about college football this past weekend. Uh, probably my favorite game in college football I watched was Washington at Oregon. Washington won 37 to 34. And first of all, this game did not disappoint. It was exactly the fun offensive battle I was hoping for. You got two really good quarterbacks, Washington quarterback, Michael Penix Jr. Threw for 400 yards. He had a beautiful touchdown pass on the left sideline with like three minutes left. He's a lefty and I, it's hard for me to judge a me- the mechanics of a lefty until I flip it and watch it. But like he, he throws a ball really well. Um, he did have a dumb interception on the goal line. First and goal. He was extending the play. Probably just should have thrown the ball, you know, out of the back of the end zone into the stands. Instead, he tried to force a throw, got picked off. Like, that's a little thing you learn from. Um, and then Oregon quarterback Bo Nix is really, really talented. I'm a big fan of this guy. He runs super well. And I, I at this point, am not sold on the Kentucky quarterback, Will Levis. Everyone talks about how great Will Levis is. Will Levis is... I think it's like it's like people decided in the offseason he was going to be a first-round pick, and so now, despite what he's doing this year, people can't move off of it. 
he does some good stuff. I'm not hating on Will Levis, but I'm like, is he that impressive? I'm not really sure. And I think at this point, personally, right now, I would rather draft Bo Nix in the second or third round than draft Will Levis in the first round. And I, if it came down to the second or third round, I'm still like, I might rather have Bo Nix. And that's maybe weird and controversial. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm the guy who once said I'd rather have Jalen Hurts than Justin Herbert. So you can hate on me all you want. But Bo Nix is a guy... I would love to coach. I mean, I, I you can teach this guy how to use his really good physical skill set. He runs really well. He's got a huge arm. I just hope somebody that has a need at quarterback will draft Bo Nix. I, I see him going somewhere like, I mean, the Raiders is really interesting. Tennessee, Washington, Dallas, I know that's a weird one, but Dallas, like Bo Nix would be really fun to watch with the Cowboys offense. Um, I don't know, man. I I, want to see Bo Nix go somewhere and get a shot to play or maybe go somewhere with an older quarterback and work your way in or go somewhere with an average quarterback and maybe work your way in that way. But I'll just tell you what, like as a guy, I think about what I want to coach this guy. I would love to game plan and design an offense around the skill set of Bo Nix in the NFL. That would be really fun. And he's an awesome leader. I just love this kid. He's, he's really cool. Now, Bo Nix did have a costly fumble. It's worth talking about. He fumbled. They ran a, on third and inches near the goal line. They put him under center, and uh, he fumbled the snap. And it a big turnover. It's a painful play. Um, and then Oregon made this weird decision. They lose to Washington. And the way it went down was very weird. On fourth and one... With a minute 31 left, ball on their own 34-yard line. Way backed up in their own territory. The game is tied 34-34. Oregon goes for it, fourth and one in their own territory. And got stopped. And it felt like a, pardon, a, a dumb, unforced error. And I'm like, I, Oregon, why are you doing that? Like, what, what's the problem? Why are you handing Washington the ball in field goal range, which they did, Washington kicked the field goal. They won by a field goal. Just a painful, weird loss for Oregon where I'm like, I, I don't really understand why you, you did that at the end. Oregon is now 8-2, and two, and losing pretty much closes the door on any small shot that Oregon had at a Pac-12 um, appearance for the college, at least at Oregon making the college football playoff. I mean, maybe USC can make it in, but I thought Oregon was their best shot, and losing eliminates Oregon from any college football playoff contention, which is... I think disappointing. Now, they probably would have got blown out, so maybe it's good for them. We get to see a better, like, they go to the Rose Bowl or something and and win. I mean, I don't know. Maybe the Rose Bowl is one of the playoff games. I'm not sure this year, but um, I, I'm, I'm actually happier getting to watch Oregon in a, a bowl game they could win and have more competition in. But I think Oregon TCU would have been, like, a really fun playoff game, and we're not going to get anything like that now. Um, the focus now for the Pac-12 is... At least, sorry, I keep saying Pac-12. The focus now for Oregon is just on them trying to win the Pac-12 title because the season's not a total loss. For Oregon, it's definitely still been a great year, in my opinion. I've walked away very impressed with their head coach, Dan Lanning. They hired Dan Lanning. He was a defensive coordinator at Georgia. It's his first year ever as a head coach. It's also his first year at Oregon, and that's worth mentioning because he just got to Eugene. Like, he's not a guy who's been there for five years as an assistant and risen up. Like, no, he's learning the city, learning the school, learning how it works. And with that perspective, 
I think Oregon's having a great year. They're eight and two. Um, and I, I just, if nothing else, you realize we got the right coach. It sucks we're not going to make the college football playoff, but I think even for Oregon fans, it's kind of a blessing in disguise to avoid a blowout to Ohio State or Georgia. Um, another thought I have in this game is that there were cool uniform combinations. Oregon had their highlighter yellow on, yellow helmets, yellow pants and jerseys, and Washington had their all-purple uniform with the gold helmet. It was cool. I just really had a great time in this game, and it was very, very quality entertainment. Now, I've got a note on the Pac-12. I kept saying Pac-12, like kind of a Freudian slip, because I knew I was going here next. UCLA lost this weekend. Arizona beat them. And uh, shout-out to Jaden Delora, Hawaii-born quarterback. Uh, had a great game as or, as Arizona beats UCLA. But, like, it happens every year that the Pac-12 just beats up on itself. There is no undefeated, standalone top dog in the Pac-12. USC has one loss. Oregon, Utah, UCLA, and Washington are all 8-2. and two. And I love the Pac-12. I'm a big fan of the Pac-12. Like, I, I'm not... All in. I, I'd rather watch an SEC game, honestly, or even a Big 12 game. But the Pac-12 in a vacuum is really fun. And if you only pay attention to the Pac-12, which a lot of people, I'm in the nor- Northwest right now, a lot of people here only pay attention to the Pac-12. And those people have a great time because you never know who's going to win. It's always, they beat up on each other. And in a vacuum, like I said, it's really fun. When you don't pay attention to what's going on nationally, it's great. But there's also no dominant top team to represent the Pac-12 nationally, like in a college football playoff scenario. And that's disappointing. I I think that uh, the Pac-12 will make more money if if they can have a team that's a standalone team above everybody else. And I'm torn because it's what we get every year from the Pac-12 is is such compelling, good football and fun storylines, and it's close and interesting. But unfortunately... There is no real shot at the college football playoff again this year because they just, every year, they beat up on each other. Now, in the SEC this weekend, Alabama beat Ole Miss 30-24, to and it was so much fun. This game came down, came right down to the end. Alabama's quarterback, Bryce Young, is so fun to watch, man. Like he, he can win in the pocket throwing the football with accuracy and timing. He's also great at extending plays. Um, and truly, though, like, this game... Ole Miss-Alabama was such an even good matchup. And I I had this kind of thought. I'm going to share like a a nerdy part of my life. I'm I'm journaling watching the game, and I'm like, man, I I wish I could live in an alternate reality where Alabama plays Ole Miss every single week. And I I know that's a silly thought, but like this game was such a good matchup, and it was so – I mean, imagine if the only game on every weekend was Alabama Ole Miss. And, like, there's only I, – I, I just kind of a weird thought. Like, imagine there's no football happening except for this one football game. And everybody paid attention to it. And everybody dives into all the nerdy nuances of, like, you know, you ever hear that expression, who would win if they played ten times? What if we really did that? What if there was really, like, this little experiment where two teams played each other ten weeks in a row and we could dive into all the small – intricate differences week to week in game planning and strategy. And maybe in this game, Alabama runs the ball heavily. And then they're like, oh, we kind of onto something. We're learning outside zone is working really well. And they start running outside zone in game number two. And then Ole Miss counters and stops that. So you just have all these, like, it'd be just so detailed. And there'd be all these back and forth counters and ways that teams find uh, mismatches and exploit them and then find ways to stop them. And 
I could watch that matchup. Ole Miss, uh, you know, Nick Saban in Alabama against Lane Kiffin in Ole Miss, like every week. It it would make me as happy as a pig in mud. And um, I just, I now I know for next year, like the X's and O's wise, it's such an interesting matchup, Nick Saban and Lane Kiffin. And I, I already look forward to next year, Ole Miss and Alabama. I think this year, um, you know, as soon as, they were both not undefeated and kind of both out of college football playoff contention. I backed off a little bit. And the reality is even with them, not really either team having a shot at the college football playoff, it was still so much fun because of the matchup and the way they play each other. And I just want to encourage people uh, next year when Ole Miss plays Alabama, take a minute and appreciate how well matched uh, these teams are schematically, and it's just, oh my gosh, I love it. Um, the final game I want to talk about is TCU uh, beating Texas 17-10. to TCU beat Texas. They stayed undefeated. TCU is now 10-0 and and looks like they're going to make the college football playoff and get destroyed by Georgia, most likely. Um, but man, Texas really, really disappointed me in this football game. Uh, the quarterback for Texas, Quinn Ewers, was 17 for 39 passing, had 171 yards, one interception, no touchdowns. In fact, Texas did not score a touchdown on offense all game long. And with four minutes left, TCU was up 17 to three. It was a blowout. It was not close. TCU did fumble. Uh, Texas recovered that and ran for a touchdown. So they got a defensive touchdown in this football game. But on offense, Texas couldn't score. And... You know, the Quinn Ewers interception that was thrown was a really poorly thrown deep ball into double coverage. It's been just a roller coaster of a year for Quinn Ewers. He's been insanely inconsistent, has really high highs and then really low lows. And when I first saw the guy play against Alabama, I'm like, hey, this kid Quinn Ewers is incredible. And now, weeks later, after watching how the year has gone on, I just can already, he doesn't even play that much because he, he missed some time hurt. I can imagine a future very much so where Arch Manning, you know, the the nephew of Peyton Manning, comes in and takes the job from Quinn Ewers. And I did not think that, like, at, earlier in the year. I remember thinking, why would Arch Manning go there? They've got Quinn Ewers. But Quinn Ewers is almost playing himself out of a job. And it's, it's really confusing and, and hard to watch. And I, I just encourage people, do you remember when Texas almost beat Alabama? Like, there was a moment where people were saying Texas is back. And it's been such a weird year for Texas where similar to their quarterback, Quinn Ewers, it's just been a roller coaster. They beat Oklahoma 49 to nothing. That was impressive. They almost beat Alabama. They lost by one point, 19 to 20. Then they've got this embarrassing loss to Oklahoma State where Quinn Ewers, their quarterback, throws three interceptions and 30, 3-0 incompletions. They lose to TCU. They can't score an offensive touchdown. It's just... It's so baffling to me. Texas is 6-4, and four, so it's not been terrible. They've got a winning record. But I'm not even sure what to think about Texas because I, I mean, I'd love to hear from Texas fans what you guys think because it's not been a great year. And maybe that's enough said, I guess, because in Texas they expect greatness. And 6-4 and four is a mediocre year. So maybe that's my answer already is they, they're they deeply unhappy because Texas isn't a great program. But I just, I thought we've seen moments of potential and like flashes of really good stuff from Texas this year. 
but with these high highs have been really low lows and it's it's so I don't know. It's just very disappointing, but also very weird because I, I, I thought there was a moment where people were going, oh my gosh, look at what Texas is doing. And then they totally flamed out and I don't know what to make of it. Now, um, <laughs> has anyone ever heard of the name Seymour Butts? <laughs> Seymour, like the name Seymour, last name Butts, first name Seymour, last name Butts. It's a fun, um, it's a joke. It's a, it's a great dad joke. Last week, someone wrote in on Patreon referencing a creator, <laughs> Barry McCockiner. <laughs> and I just read the questions. I, I go on Patreon, I read them out loud. The joke went right over my head. I didn't even realize until I posted the episode. People were saying, can you believe it's accent out loud? And I, I looked up the guy, Barry McCockiner. He's a real YouTuber. Uh, he, he's kind of a, a troll, but I respect the hustle. Like, I... It's not my style of content, but the guy has a lot of creative writing and clever writing even. And I would say there's entertainment value there. But I just think it's worth acknowledging this hilarious name this YouTuber has. Barry McCockiner. <laughs> and I was at the gym just like thinking about it. And I just kind of admire the joke. It's good stuff. Like that your name in of itself is a joke. Like what it, what a fun idea. And uh Barry, if you're out there, Barry, <laughs> I, I, I have grown to admire you as I, I feel like I kind of got, I, it's like, it's like a, the name is a prank in of itself, which is just beautiful. And I, uh, I, Barry, I'd love to interview you. It'd be fun. Like, I, I don't know what we would talk about. I don't even know if Barry takes his content. I mean, clearly it's like his job and he makes money doing it, but I, I'm, I can't tell how serious it is. I can't tell if like he does a, a video where he does quarterback um, grades and like some of it's serious and some of it's like, are you saying that to make people angry? I'm not really sure. And maybe it's both. Maybe he's kind of like in the same space as video game donkey is where donkey can say stuff that's meaningful, but also make jokes. And I'm not really sure, but I'd love to Barry, if you're out there and I want to be interviewed, I'd love to talk to you. Cause I'm so fascinated by what you do. And, uh, I just, I, I tip of the cap to here's the great, my, my new favorite YouTube creator name. His name is Barry McCockiner. <laughs> oh man and I'm, I'm not even doing anything wrong i'm just saying his name so don't even need to make it it's not even it's a it's a family-friendly podcast don't need to be have the explicit button on there because barry mccockiner is his name all right guys i love you i appreciate it. i hope you have a great day and uh, i will talk to you soon until next time but um bam we are done